haven't seen the video of a massive racialized brawl in Montgomery, Alabama, you have for sure come across the many passionate and high-spirited reactions that are all over social media about it. The altercation began when a group of white boaters docked their boat in an area that was reserved for a commercial riverboat. That riverboat's co-captain, an African-American man, attempted to get the white boaters to move their boat so that the riverboat would have enough room to dock. The white boaters confronted him, then they jumped him and began beating and kicking him on the docks. We've heard that story many times. We've seen that story many times in American history. But this one didn't end the way so many others had. A group of African-Americans who were standing nearby intervened. They stopped the white boaters from beating the riverboat co-captain, and then a big fight broke out. Now, this melee was really dramatic. Punching and kicking and wrestling one of the African-American interveners even swam across a narrow channel to join the fight. The cheers from onlookers who were videoing what was happening. I think you can't watch this. You can't take in the reaction to it without thinking about the historical context for these events. And there is such a rich historical context here. This happens in Montgomery, Alabama, which is not just a critical place in the civil rights movements of the 1960s. It's also a really important place in terms of the history of slavery and the history of lynching, the racialized terror that is unleashed on African-Americans in the early 20th century. And so there is an emotional response, a visceral emotional response, I think. When you look at this, when you take in what's happening and what it means, I think on one hand, uh, most of us have no tolerance for brawling and physical violence. But on the other hand, I think African-Americans in particular are completely justified to feel a sense of elation in the fact that in this really important historical spot, for once, it seemed maybe the tables had turned in the racial balance of violence in our history. I think it's fair to say a lot of people feel refreshing that black people, after so many generations of being the ones to suffer at the hands of white mobs, could intervene in this case, could exact a little revenge. Now, to be black in America is to feel, at various times, isolated and endangered in white settings. That is a truth, a fact, that every African-American learns at some point in their life, many of us very early. And I don't think I know any African-Americans who have 
avoided a situation in which he or she wishes someone might have come to their rescue. To, to intervene in circumstances that posed racialized threats or even just racial discomfort. This is what our lives look like on a daily basis. And so when we see people stand up, rise up, if you will, to say, oh no, this isn't going to happen while I witness it. I'm going to do something. I think there is an understandable and powerful understanding that this is, this is necessary, even if it might be horrifying. But of course, all of this leaves us to wonder about what's next. Is this how we're going to solve our problems in America? Is this how we're going to confront the rich and horrible legacy of racism and violence in America? Are we going to go at it on a constant basis? And if not, what is the right response to this? How do we stop the inspiration that tells some white Americans that they can exact violence against African-Americans. And forget about this kind of violence. Let's talk about the violence of disrespect, the violence of imposed invisibility on African-Americans. All of these things that African-Americans experience all the time in this country. What does all of this say about where we are, where we've been, and where we're going? I'm joined by Hassan Kwame Jeffries. He is an Ohio State University history professor who specializes in civil rights and the Black Power movement. Hassan, it's really great to have you here. Welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. And that was a, a wonderful introduction, the way you just laid out the context. You really hit the the major issues is complicated and complex, but thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I have to say up front, I, I'm really sad about the way this makes me feel, right? I'm really sad that, that, um, that I find myself cheering in a way for what, what was done here. Uh, and I think it was the right, the right thing, but the fact that in 2023, African-Americans find themselves in a position to have to do that is, I guess, mm. what makes me what makes me sad. I wonder, I, you know, I'm a, I, I follow you on social media. I've seen lots of the things that you've been saying and posting about. It's one of the reasons I really wanted you to be uh, with us today to talk about it. But I, I would love to hear how you're feeling about it and whether you have that same conflict uh, within yourself about uh, about those feelings. Yeah, no, conflict, I think internal conflict is, is, is the right framing of it. Um, I remember when the, the video, the, the first sort of compilation very early on came across my feed. And, and, you know, it starts off in a way that we've seen far too many of these videos begin. Um, and it's almost like we know the ending. 
Um, you see an African American, uh, you know, the, the shot from across the, from from a distance, uh, you know, arguing with you know a handful of white men, and, th- and then he's attacked. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember my heart sunk, and it was like, oh no, not again. But but then as you as you describe, the tables begin to turn, uh, and you see, you know, uh, out of seemingly out of nowhere, um, other brothers and sisters you know, coming to the aid and assistance. Um, and and it's it, it sort of, including the young brother swimming, right? Because you mentioned from across the channel, right? And, you know, it, it, it again, in that moment that the feelings, the emotions changed, it went from a sense of dread to a sense of, you know what? This is, this, this is it. This is the moment, right? This is what in watching all of these videos and i think this helps explain at least in part some of the reaction mm-hmm. some of the visceral reaction and, and applauding and the cheering and celebration and elation that is coming emanating from various quarters of the african-american community across the board right i mean this is young people and old people and seniors is that all of these videos that we have watched over the years and just take the snippet of videos from from you know from uh you know uh um, la Rodney King, mm-hmm. up until most recently, right? George Floyd. The one thing that none of us have been able to do is intercede. You know, uh, you know, I, I was struck during the, the the trial of George Floyd and listening to the witnesses and seeing them tear up uh, on the stand as they were saying, we felt helpless. We wanted to do something, but of course, these are armed police. And there was nothing they could do. And so in this moment, thank God, and amazingly in Alabama, nobody pulled out any guns. But in this moment, people said they're not going to be helpless. I mean, and they're coming to that brother's aid, the co-captain, as you mentioned, coming to his aid. I mean, that, I think, really, you know, changed how people felt about what they were about what they were seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to back us up a little bit here and kind of address um, the, the, the context for this. Uh, I've heard a lot of people ask, well, why do you automatically assume that this was a racialized fight? Why do you assume that race was the motivation for the white voters to respond the way they did to the black uh, riverboat co-captain? And I feel like I've spent a lot of time trying to trying to explain that to people, but I would love to hear you talk about why we know, why we're not just guessing and we're not just reacting, why we know that when something like this happens, it is an invocation of white privilege, it is an invocation of white supremacy, and that you can't divorce even an individual act like this from the history and the context that makes it racial uh, in nature. Yeah, I think the, the, the point that you just made is the key. You can't divorce the individual act from the context of history. But why? Uh, why can't we do oh, that? Oh, because history tells us, history has given us um, over not just the recent, not just the last few months, not just the last few years, not just the last few decades, but the last few centuries, that when we see these instances of an African-American um, asserting uh, their, their authority 
uh, when they have that particular authority, but oftentimes not even uh, asserting anything, just being and existing. Um, but in this instance, doing their job, and you have a handful of white men supplemented by white women who refuse to follow the instruction and direction uh, of the African-American and then turn to violence because of their insistence that they are in the right. And all this plays out. We see it in, in very dramatic form in the video. Uh, then we have to say why. And if you choose to believe uh, that it was somehow something other than race, then all you have to do simply is change the actors. Would this response in Alabama uh, have, have been different? Uh, had the captain or the co-captain who had asked these white voters to move their boat so the, the Harriet too could, could, could dock, had that captain been white or had that captain been a white female or had it been a white police officer who came and asked them to move, would the reaction, would the default reaction of using violence to assert their own sense of supremacy been the same, or would it have been different? Uh, and history tells us, because we know that this has occurred time and time and time again where the default response to any kind of black assertion has been the use of violence and terror, mm -hmm. that it would have been different. So the, 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 the factor, the contributing factor here certainly is race. And we just can't avoid that. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Hassan Kwame Jeffries. He is a professor of history at Ohio State University. He specializes in civil rights and the black power movement. We're talking about this viral video of a brawl in Montgomery, Alabama, between white boaters and uh, African-Americans who intervened to stop those boaters from beating and kicking uh, a black riverboat co-captain who had asked them to move their boat. Uh, we're talking about not just this incident itself, but the way it inspires a broad spectrum of emotions about race and history. Uh, also, what we do uh, about this kind of dynamic, uh, even, even those of us who feel empowered by seeing African-Americans intervene in the beating of an African-American man, I think, have to, to pause and think about well, is this where we are in 2023, and why is it where we are in 2023? This is where we want to be. I think no one in America wants this to be uh, the truth that we have to live. How do we get to a different space? We would love to hear from you, our listeners, uh, during this conversation. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, and we can work you into the conversation. Big Neo says on Twitter, Malcolm X said they don't outnumber us, they out-organize us. This is one of those times where black folks stood together against wrong, but it's telling that there are some white folks who blame, quote, the black guy for starting it. Uh, he also included uh, a reference to a tweet where uh, presumably uh, a white person is uh, looking at the physical, the physical stance and the physical acts of the co-captain before the fight starts and says that he is inciting things. I have seen a lot of memes like that uh, on social media. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Let's go first to Peter in Detroit. What's on your mind, Peter? Good morning, Stephen. Hey. Uh, I, you know, I, like you, am very uncomfortable 
with this whole thing. I saw the the video first and was like, okay, so what's this about? And asked somebody, and they told me this is what you know what had happened. Uh, and later started seeing these memes with people holding folding chairs. And one of them is the statue of Martin Luther King that's that's on the mall. And Martin Luther King is holding a folding chair. And I'm thinking, okay, you know what? Now what's taking over? It's gone too far for you, Peter. (laughs) That's too far. You don't get it. Martin Luther King would not have picked up a folding chair and hit somebody. And if that's the part you're happy about, you don't get it. I'm sorry, but yeah. that's just wrong. Uh, right. And, and Peter, I, I, I'm not going to argue with you. You're right. That is wrong. And there is something a little perverse even about that meme. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I still hear in your voice the the understanding of where people are coming from here and why they are reacting that way. Am I am I right about that? Oh, yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's. And had it stopped at that, I, that I would have been more comfortable with that. Mm. If it had stopped at, you know what, these people did not let this person be victimized by people with, with, with bad intent. They were all probably drunk, which, you know, which, you know, people drink on boats a lot. You know, and that would have, I would have been satisfied with that. But then to start taking it and making these memes and saying, oh, we're celebrating this, <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. That is just, just not what Montgomery was about. You know, we didn't, we didn't move the civil rights movement with violence. We moved it with people showing up and, and showing how bad the system was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, violence might have done it, but it wouldn't have taken longer. Yeah. Peter, I, yeah, I hear you, and I, I really appreciate you calling and, and sharing that perspective. Uh, Professor Jeffries, uh, respond to what Peter's saying here. Yeah, sir. I, I think a couple things are at play, and, and there's a number of, of memes circulating, um, and, and and that being one of them. Uh, and, and and shout out to the artists who who actually match the the folding chair to the granite <laughs> of the king statue. I mean, that's the creativity right. of, of the black response of black, black Twitter, king. right? Of black Twitter. No, it's been phenomenal in that sense. And I, I think we have to distinguish between sort of, you know, the, 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 the cascade of emotion and reaction and the drawing on and the humor in responding to this sort of moment of justice, not revenge, but justice, uh, and this broader, un- and not taking it quite so literally, you know, would Dr. King have picked up, you know, uh, grabbed the hold of a folding chair? No. But Dr. King did fight back in his own way. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what I think was seeing in these, you know, in, in, you know, on black Twitter and, and with these memes is people who have gravitated to this idea of, you know, the folding chair symbolically, right, as the weapon of the weak. The, the, this idea that we will take whatever through, through whatever means, as, as Malcolm X said, by any means necessary, <laughs> even if it's a folding chair, right, to exact a modicum of justice that we have been denied in the society. And, and I, I think it's also, if I have a moment, it's also important to say, yes, you know, nonviolence was one of the tactics and strategies uh, embraced by those who believed in it as a way of life, like Dr. King and mm-hmm. Reverend James Lawson out of Tennessee. But, let, but let, let's not be fooled. Yeah. Uh, self-defense uh, was a critical component of the African-American response to racial terrorism and racial violence throughout the South, throughout the Midwest, even Detroit, uh, throughout the Northeast, and even during the Civil Rights Movement. It doesn't get the coverage uh, that nonviolence does. 
but the default response for most African Americans when faced with white violence and white terrorism, whether in Montgomery, Alabama, or rural Lowes County, right next door, or Detroit, which has many uh, Alabama migrants, mm-hmm. was to defend themselves, often with a gun, but in this instance, uh, with a folding chair. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Professor Hassan Kwame Jeffries. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us. Our guest right now is Hassan Kwame Jeffries, an Ohio State University history professor who specializes in civil rights and the black power movement. We're talking about uh, this video of pretty big brawl in Montgomery, Alabama, between white boaters uh, and a group of African-Americans who were trying to prevent those boaters from beating an African-American man who was doing his job trying to to move their boat uh, away from a commercial dock. Uh, We're also talking about the context in which we have to consider these things, the very troubling, very rich racial context of history in this country. Before we go back to listeners, uh, Hassan, I do want to talk about the social media uh, dynamic and influence here. Uh, This is different in many ways because of social media. The number of people who, of course, can see it because of social media, but also the kinds of responses. And, And as Peter, our first caller, uh, pointed out that those responses have have a, a broad spectrum uh, as well. But one of the things that I think is really important to to point out and to emphasize is that the humor we see, and you touched on this a little, but the humor we see in the response of people who are watching this and posting on social media also has an important historical context. That humor is, along with lots of other um, uh, cultural assets, uh, one of the ways that we get through difficult times in the in the black community, and and there is an instinctive response to make light of, I think, very serious things as a way of of processing them, of of shielding ourselves uh, from the from the hurt and and the pain that these kinds of incidents actually evoke in us. No, you're spot on. And even the, the, the use of, one, black folk have been using humor uh, to cling to and hold on to their humanity uh, from time immemorial. Mm-hmm. I mean, we think about the Br'er Rabbit, ta- Br'er Rabbit tale mm-hmm. uh, in which African enslaved folk are, are, are turning the tables on their enslavers and their oppressors. We hear it in the blues. We see it in hip hop. Uh, and so it's a, you think about Dick Gregory during the Civil Rights Movement. It, it, it's a cathartic release. And I think that is what we're, we're seeing here, the creative genius to be sure. But, but it, it, it's humor to keep from crying. Because what this actually was, mm-hmm. was, a, was a, lynching, a lynching in the making. Mm-hmm. And so the, the humor is in the response to be sure. But, it, but it's really a response to, the, to, to what was a tragedy that we saw happening because we've seen it happen far too often. And, but, but there's also, I think, it, it important threads 
to the humor as well. The nicknames given to the young 16-year-old brother uh, <laughs> who swam right from the boat to the dock. You know, Scuba Gooding Jr. and Sharpest Garvey. In other words, drawing on, you know, this is a revolutionary and, and, and playing to, you know, that, that the ridiculous racist stereotype that black people can't swim, saying, okay, you know what? Well, look at us now. Right? I mean, so it's unpacking so much. One, as a way to get through, you know, you know this, 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 this very traumatic experience that we're watching and, and Thankfully, it didn't end like it, it so often does, but then also drawing on all these stereotypes, turning them on their head, and also saying that, you know what, we were here and we were ready to defend ourselves and provide justice, but justice has so often been denied. That's it for the Detroit Today podcast. If you like this show, you get a lot out of it, you ought to be sharing it. Share it with your friends and your neighbors, your relatives, anyone you think would enjoy it and would add to this community that we're building here. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And our student producer is Mira Kumar. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll see you next time on the Detroit Today podcast.